Episode 8 of Sip On This, the podcast that brings you into the wondrous experience of wine country here in the United States and abroad. I'm Roger Chung, your co-host, and today we're here at the Farm Collective in Southern Napa Valley with Bertus von Sale. He's the winemaker for the Farm Collective wineries, and we're going to delve into the story behind this interesting group of wineries in just a minute. But before we do, I just want to welcome and introduce my uh, wonderful co-host, Janae Gaither. Hey, Janae. Hey, Roger. How are you? I'm great. It's a wonderful day. We're here in February 2019, and the sun is out. It's a little chilly. It was supposed to snow here in uh, Napa Valley uh, and in the higher elevations of uh, Northern California today. It's, uh, it hasn't snowed here in about 43 years, they say. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't see any because I would have pulled my hair out. And welcome to Sip on This, Bertus. It's so nice to have you join us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Roger and Bertus, I am super excited for our conversation today. Um, we're going to discuss um, the Farm Collective today, which is a family of wineries that includes T-Vine and Tank Garage, both in Calistoga, about a block from each other. And I spend lots of time at those wineries. And then also James Cole Winery, which is on the Silverado Trail in the Stags Leap District. So Bertus, can you tell us the idea behind Farm Collective and how you came to be involved as the winemaker for all the three properties? Yeah, yeah, be my pleasure. So Farm Collective was essentially started in 2012, uh, and that was the year that I actually joined up with uh, the owners. It was basically a celebration and kind of a, a statement piece saying that we're Farm Collective and kind of showing how important farming is to us and uh, and that we're not kind of a corporate organization. It's, it's still very much family owned. So there are only two families in the collective. Uh, I started in 2012, that was my first vintage. And so had a hand in bottling 2010 wines. So my memory stretches luckily as far back as that. Um, and I was actually, so grew up in Cape Town in South Africa. I was very fortunate uh, in going to boarding school in Stellenbosch, which is in the heart of the South African wine industry. And so I, through high school, actually took a wine appreciation course when I was 14, mm. which is uh, it's quite young. very rare. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, then when I was 15, I took a, a wine making class and the bug just bit me. And, and from there, I just knew I wanted to be a winemaker. So kind of chased that dream uh, post high school, studied at the University of Stellenbosch. A UC Davis equivalent mm. kind of degree down there and yeah started working in the industry and always knew that I wanted to come to Napa to get experience because uh, it has such a such a world-renowned name and so in 2010 I was able to come out to his collection which was the sister winery of the winery that I was working for in South Africa mm-hmm. and so that was a really great experience but I was only here for six weeks uh, for kind of a short harvest experience and then I knew I kind of fell in love with Napa basically at that point and so in 2011 I was able to come out for three and a half months and that's when I worked the harvest at Chapelet Mm. and uh, that was an incredible experience and so it was during that harvest that I met the owners of Farm Collective and uh, went more for a conversation than an interview Mm. and we just seemed to really hit it off so they made me an offer to to move out here and so I did that in 2012 packed my two bags and my golf clubs and yeah got on a plane (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I love that story. Yeah. So you first became interested in it at about the age 14, but then you said you got the bug at age 15. What was that bug exactly? Was it was the 
taste? Was it the flavor, the complexity, the uh, the production process that intrigued you? What really yeah. was that bug that got you motivated into wines? I think it was it was everything. It was uh, it was realizing that I I didn't see myself sitting in an office in a corporate office. Um, and, and realizing that winemaking is both super creative, it's kind of an art form, but it's also very scientific. So it played to some of my strengths and some of my passions. And also, I think a little bit of the history side. Mm-hmm. Um, I love history and, you know, what I love about wine, one of the things I love about wine is that it kind of captures a, a year in a bottle and it's stuck in there until you open it. And so it kind of, the really great ones, so that's it's kind decades. Of a time capsule. Yeah. Mm. And really so, beautiful. Uh, so that's really kind of fun. Um, how do winemaking styles differ, in your opinion, between here and in South Africa? Uh, stylistically, there's definitely a, uh, a kind of a push for. Depending on the region, there's there's more of a push or a focus on on no green flavors. So you're kind of pushing ripeness and and the fruit forwardness mm. um, and the kind of the plushness of texture. That's one of the things that's that's kind of much more Californian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in South Africa, people skew a little bit more old world. Even well, South Africa is kind of technically technically it should be an older world region because it's over 350 years old. But politically, uh, through the isolation, they're now they're, they're considered new world, and and for I think for good reason because there's a lot of new energy there. But I think in in general, the South African style skews a little bit more European than it does new world. And do you? have a preference for old world wines versus new world? Well, I'm very fortunate and I think that's one of the beautiful things with Farm Collective is that we make in the region of almost 50 different wines for these three wineries, mm-hmm. especially with Tank, it's uh, always pushing, you know, the new, the cool, and all the wines are one-offs, with the exception of one that we'll try today. Um, so it kind of allows me to explore a lot of different styles. Like it doesn't always have to be new world. Like we we do some some of our wines are, are a little bit more of an older world exploration, and so the, I have that balance. And then I think with James Cole, it's also it's not the it's not the most fruit forward wines in the valley like it's it's also kind of a little bit more of a focus on ageability and uh, yeah kind of the classical style um, of wines and so I, I'm lucky in that I have kind of that balance um, I, th- I think growing up in South Africa and cutting my teeth there when I was younger um, definitely played a big role in how my palate developed so I think I have a bit more of an older world palate but mm. I do I do appreciate a lot of new world wines, and so I think I, I bring that kind of diversity in my in my palate to to some of the wines that we make. New world, new concept. Can you tell us, explain a little bit about what is a farm collective? And you mentioned a couple of families earlier in the conversation. What's the idea behind a farm collective, and what's the distinction in the three labels that we're here today uh, visiting? We're, we're here to taste a, a little bit of tea vine, a little bit of tank, and a little bit of James Cole. Yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting concept. Uh, it's basically two families that came together, the Ragushi family and the Harder family. Um, and so each of them, they have their own winery. The Harder family own James Cole Winery and the Ragushis own Ragushi Winery. And um, they, they did some work prior to starting Farm Collective um, when I think when the market was riper for making you know value even napa wines at the 20 dollar price point kind of kind of thing mm-hmm. and so they kind of pulled resources they're 
I think they started uh, a label basically with a little bit of excess ragushi fruit and then some bulk wine that they bought and they built up a pretty decent kind of wholesale brand around that. And so they they kind of, uh, the harder, um, James Harder, who is kind of the creative force behind Tank Garage, um, he brings a lot of brand, building brand, uh, brand management and branding background uh, and marketing and wine sales to the, the fold. Uh, he grew up in Canada and started working in the Canadian wine industry as a salesperson and kind of worked his way up until he was working here for Wilson Daniels um, in St. Helena. So, um, so yeah, they kind of pulled their resources with the Ragushis, very much the farming family, um, deep roots in Napa, you know, over through current four generations now in, uh, in Napa. And so, uh, in that shared resources, they realized that they, they got along really well um, and they worked well together. So there was a moment in 2008 when they found out that T-Vine, were, the brand was, was for sale. Mm. And that was basically through Jim Ragushi's Napa roots and connections. And so they, they teamed up and, and bought the brand kind of came back to a focus on DTC and realizing that that's our strengths. James Cole's always been 100% DTC. DTC just for our audience is direct to consumer. Yep. So uh, so the only place you can buy it is either online or at the tasting room. And so they wanted to kind of pursue that because, um, and that was kind of right before everybody else started realizing it. Um, and then that that was kind of the future. Everybody's trying to do DTC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so they... There was a space in Calistoga that is now a tank garage mm-hmm. that James had had his eye on for a long time. It's a cute little spot. It <laughs> is an awesome 1930s renovated Texaco gas station, uh, and it still has that kind of feel, garage feel to it. It's it's amazing. But but he had always had his eye on that, and he's a big fan of kind of vintage California. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when again through Jim Ragushi's connections found out that that place was coming up for lease they, they jumped at that opportunity and that's how Tank was born that's such a great concept so you're producing wine at a lower price point for uh, greater consumption but do you find the competition harder because you're in, you also introduced some new labels and with over 525 wineries here in the Napa Sonoma region how do you punch through to make your wines known and as you're creating these wines what has come through and what has been some of the most distinctive uh, characteristics of some of these wines yeah i think i think speaking of tank which is which has done really really well for us and has been extremely well received uh, it's a combination of a lot of things our price points range from you know $20 rosé mm. up to a $65 bottle of Napa red wine. That's really which affordable. Is very reasonable, yeah. yeah. And I think that's the whole... Well, the easiest way I can kind of describe it is when we think about a lot of the tank wines that we make, we want to make sure that there is complexity in there, but we also want to make sure that, it is, that it's accessible enough. And so I think it's those two things, it's that balance between the two, is that if you really want to find the complexity, it's there for you, but if you just want a really good glass of white or red wine, like it'll do that for you as well. Mm-hmm. And then the labels are super playful, super fun, and, and always changing, and I think that kind of freshness, and knowing that it's a one-off production, that kind of limited element, uh, also really plays into it but I think <clears throat> the other strength we have is that we we 
we put a strong emphasis on working with alternative varieties. So last year we uh, we made 41 different grape varieties. Oh wow! Here at, at Farm Collective, and so that kind of exploration pushes us into the further regions uh, of California. You know, up up into Mendocino, the foothills. We got a little bit of uh, white wine from San Luis Obispo mm-hmm. down on the central coast. So. You know, we're not limited by just the Napa for tank, which 41. is really fun. 41 varietals, that's, that's a lot. lot. Yeah. Yeah. So you source most of your grapes then? We source for tank, yep. No own vineyards, just all sourced grapes. And, and, the, um, and the other labels? Uh, T-Vine is the same thing, and it's a different focus. So on, with T-Vine, we focus on old vine, kind of heritage vineyards, and um, try to find very distinct kind of, uh, when I say heritage, I mean Zinfandel, Petit Syrah, Grenache, Charbonneau, the the varieties that have been here for a century or more. And so that kind of celebration, but finding these old vine vineyards that uh, allow us to make wines that really kind of stand out and mm-hmm. uh, and have good stories to tell. But so it's kind of that, that single vineyard old vine um, focus for tea vine that's a little bit different to tanks is it doesn't quite matter how old the vines are, but if they're planted in a cool place with a cool story, that, that kind of works for us. Hmm. And I think the other thing that, that's made um, Tank really successful is that there are, like you said, so many wineries in Napa and Sonoma that when you have something that's different, it's sometimes the industry itself who embrace it. And so we have a very strong, um, we have really strong support from people in the industry who want to try something different, who, mm-hmm. you know, if you're pouring Napa Cab, all day, every day, like at some point you're gonna wanna take a break and drink something else. That's right. And so that's kind of the fun thing is that there is a very strong local support, I think, for Tank. And and again, those prices are accessible where it's not just for the tourists. That's right, that's right. That's what this podcast is about, is making wine more accessible to the audience. It's something that we're very passionate about. That's right. So if I go to the Tank Garage tasting room, should I anticipate more blends? Yes, so Tank Garage is, is focused on blends, so. Awesome. We, we've only, there's only been one occasion um, where we've had a bigger production wine that wasn't a blend, and that was a Pinot Noir. And then, um, as Janae knows, there are some, well, when we have uh, some really cool parties up there, we will sometimes mm-hmm. make, uh, we'll, we'll find a really cool barrel of wine and we'll bottle that up. So there's only oh, 25 wow. cases for sale, and you can only buy it if you come to the party. Awesome. Uh, or half of it when you come to the party, and the other half will release um, to our mailing list to the people who can't make it, and then those tend to sell out within like a couple of minutes. And then for the other labels, uh, T-Vine and James Cole, are those more pure uh, single varietals, or are those? Or do you also experiment with blends there? Um, so T-Vine is predominantly single vineyard wines. Um, we we have a Russian River Zinfandel from Bachkalupi family. We have a Dry Creek Zinfandel from uh, the Lavoie Vineyard. We have worked with the Frediani since since T-Vine basically started. And so uh, a, T- a Frediani Zinfandel and Petit Sera and a Grenache and a Charbonneau. Yeah. So they're kind of a, a big staple of what we do. Um, then we go up and we have a Hal Mountain mm-hmm. uh, Zinfandel from Black Sears. And now we've started exploring a little bit further, so we, we work with vineyards in Contra Costa, Lodi, and uh, Amador and El Dorado. And so that's kind of what T-Vine does. And then with James Cole, the majority of the wines, uh, there's a rosé that's a blend, there's a Chardonnay, straight Napa, Napa Chardonnay, mm-hmm. and then um, Malbec, Cab, and then we kind of go into a little bit more blends, but 
kind of cab dominated blends or uh, and then with the exception of one of my favorite wines there is called the Provado and it's a Merlot Cab Franc or a Cab Franc Merlot mm. blend which Delicious. is really, really I want good. that one which winery brand because they are all distinct brands is the most challenging for you and which is the most fun for you to produce Ooh. I think they all have elements that I love and so it's 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 not that one is necessarily my favorite no, um, you don't have a favorite child. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, I think when it comes to just pure fun, Tank Tank does fills checks all those boxes for mm-hmm. me because it is working with like crazy random things like Gruner Feltliner and mm. you know Albarino, Malvasia, Bianco and mm-hmm. like things like that. But then with James Cole, it taps into and it um, it really satisfies my my kind of dream of having moved out here to make Napa Cab. Hmm. Awesome. And so that that does it for me. But then with Freddie oh, with T Vine, one of my favorite things there is um, is working with these old families, old growers, um, which sometimes is also the challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think but I think one of the biggest challenges is just, you know, we've we've we have all these wines, but then you can multiply that by two or three to get to the amount of vineyards that we work with to make those wines. And so I spend a lot of time on the road and it's just kind of working within the harvest chaos and making sure nothing gets missed. So I'm on the road. I'm basically outside, out of the winery more than I'm in the winery sure. at harvest time. Sure. And so I think, but I think that kind of ensures the consistency and, and um, the stylistic goals that we're trying to meet is, is we obsess over you know, making the right picking decision and making sure that we don't miss miss anything. Mm-hmm. And then having a very solid team back at the house and kind of taking care of business. That's great. That's part. awesome. Yeah. All right. So what wines do you have for us today? So uh, I've picked out four wines that I think are pretty, are, are good representations to each for Tank and T-Vine. Awesome. Um, James Cole, we'd have to get in a much deeper conversation about. Ah. Uh, but, but yeah, so these are kind of really fun to taste. Uh, you are, with the exception of some of the tasting room people and our sales and owners, you guys will be the first to try our 2018 rosé for mm. Tank Garage. Awesome. Oh, wonderful. We're excited. And so so honored. Uh, yeah, we're gonna start with that one. Then we have a red blend, um, a Napa red blend from uh, Tank. And then we're gonna do two of our Napa Zinfandels for, for T1. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. What a beautiful sound that is. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Tell us about this rosé. So, rosé is something of a uh, of a passion of mine. My wife and I spent a week in Provence for as part of our honeymoon. Mm. Awesome. And so we were drinking two or three bottles of rosé a day mm-hmm. uh, as what part of the like? diet. Yeah. <laughs> that was just before 12 noon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so I have a I have a pretty big passion for rosé. And ours is very much more in the Provencal style, so it's much dry, um, much drier. And we we pick uh, specifically for rosé. So all the grapes that have gone into here um, are are picked with a goal of making rosé. So it's direct pressed, settled overnight, and then cold fermented for about two weeks and then uh, we basically store them until December when we combine uh, when we make up all of our blends and then we uh, bottled it about a week ago and then oh, it'll wow. be released very soon nice very yeah. cool and uh, what are the varietals in here alright so it is 65% Mavedra, mm. 16% Grenache 
12% Carignan, 5% Cinso, and then 2% Vermentino. Wow. So very Rhone with some Vermentino. Yep. <laughs> yep. Which is very traditional to do in, in Provence. Okay. Just to add a little bit of Vermentino. Very cool. And uh, yeah, so this is Stars Like Ours, 2018. It's sealed under screw cap, which makes it perfect for uh, a, uh, a picnic. Mm -hmm. yeah. Perfect for the summertime. Okay. And a little bit about the front label. Uh, there are some die cut stars on there. That's part of the Stars Like Ours. Uh, and a at a photo, a vintage photo of James, the owner and creative mastermind, uh, his great uncle and aunt on one of their trips down to Southern California. Ah, yeah, it's Fantastic. a beautiful, yeah. almost and then, black and white. Yeah, and then the cool thing is uh, if you have this bottle out in the sun, because of the die cut, it looks like a little sparkle, so it looks like a star. Oh, awesome. awesome. Yeah. Great. That's another thing I love about Tank Garage is that the labels are all so spectacular. They're, again, I think kind of going with that vintage California vibe. All the yep. labels are very kind of vintage inspired with old cars and colors it look like they're straight from the 70s <laughs> and vintage photos and I think that's really kind of an innovative thing that yeah. another innovative thing that you guys are doing yeah. thank you for sure so these varietals are very common uh, amongst Napa wine growers nope so this is a wine that is grown in the Sierra foothills which mm -hmm. is actually a really big region um, the majority of the grapes come from um, well, the majority come from the foothills, but a little bit come from Contra Costa County, like right on the delta, mm -hmm. where there's some really sandy soils and some really cool kind oh, of varieties. Wow. And you were able to extract the Provence style with these grapes. Yeah. Like, I, th I think a lot of people have a bit of a misconception about, you know, uh, some of the foothills regions, Amador or El Dorado or Placer counties. Um, while they can be very, very hot, especially Placer County, like right around Folsom Lake, mm -hmm. um, the, the higher up in elevation you go, there's some, the, even though it's really hot, it's still really cold nights because it gets all the cold air drainage out of the Sierra Nevadas. Um, and so I think it's just about picking it at the right time. And we've found that a lot of the times, uh, and so just to give you an idea, this is 12% alcohol. Okay. Um, and so we're picking it between 10 and 12% is kind of our sweet spot that we've realized, like even if it comes in at 10%, we have some, like which uh, works for something like Mavedra, mm -hmm. which tends to have a pH that wants to climb a little bit quicker. And so we picked that earlier than the Grenache, which has a bit more of a stable pH. And so you get more of the fruit coming from the, the Grenache and the Mavedra brings kind of that crushed rock mineral element that gotcha. I love in, in rosés. All right, yeah. awesome. All right, let's Absolutely. take a sniff. Let's see what we have. Mmm, beautiful light bouquet. Very floral. And I love the color. Mmm, very spring flower garden. Yeah. Yeah. Pale pink. Pale pink in color. Yes, yeah, very light. Almost clear. Beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful, beautiful. Oh, wow. That is not your typical rosé of Napa Valley. That very is dry. Very interesting. Very elegant. Yeah. I love that. Describe that for me. Um, I get, like, like you said, it is very dry, and that's probably why I love it so much. Um, but I get... But oddly enough, I get a little bit of, just on the finish, a little bit of banana. 
mm-hmm. and a little bit of melon. It doesn't last for long, but just a hint, and kind of it kind of brings that little fruity characteristic to to um, the rest of the wine. Um, but immediately, initially on the palate, I get a lot of minerality, as you were talking yes. about before. Um, I even get a hint of green, like a few green notes. Mm-hmm. Um, Asparagus, but maybe not as not as pungent and not as strong as asparagus. Something else that has a, a, a lighter flavor, but leaning toward asparagus that I yeah. absolutely love when I drink rosé. That's there as well. Um, along with the banana, I think it's just a perfect a perfect summer sipper, a perfect, I can drink this whole bottle in 10 minutes sipper. <laughs> yeah, and that's key yeah. for me with, with the tank wines is that, like I said, I want I would want, want them to have complexity, but I also want them to have the pure drinkability where you don't even realize that the bottle's gone. Yes. And that's kind of like the best, I think that's one of the best markers of a, of a, of a good wine is you take a bottle to a party and you look which one gets finished first and nine times out of 10, it's this wine. I love this. This is very, uh, I, I get that sandy, soily feature. Um, with this mouthfeel, but uh, taste-wise, I get a lot of the summer melons, like a honeydew. But then when I when when it fills my mouth, I get a whole bite of uh, like a of a green apple, which is really nice. Yeah, it kind of starts you salivating too. Exactly. Like, like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But high acid, I also love that too. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you when when you when you make rosés and you mentioned uh, going to on your honeymoon with your wife? Do you try to aspire to match uh, the, the, the rosés that you had in, in Europe, or are you just trying to do something different and unique here? No, I think I think with rosé, maybe it's a little bit more traditional, but mm-hmm. traditional in the French sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've... It's not impossible to make a good Cap Franc rosé or like mm-hmm. some of some of the other Bordeaux rosés, but my preference just falls more within the Rhone or the Mediterranean mm-hmm. styles. Um, It'd be cool to find some Italian uh, kind of. There's some really great Italian varieties, but they're not really very planted to also make really good rosés like these. But mm-hmm. and so I've I've kind of like tried to play to the model of of Provence more than I, I guess New World. Yeah. Um, and then to me, rosé like I I obsess about the color, but only in in a way that I don't want it to get too dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like there are some amazing like darker rosés like Tavels uh, mm-hmm. from from France and things like that, and I have great appreciation for that. But I don't think that's the tank like spot that we're trying to go for. We're trying to go more for you know that porch pounder mm-hmm. kind of vibe. And that's a whole other conversation um, about rosé. They they darker rosés like in Spain they really they have difficulty selling in the yeah. U.S. because people are used to kind of that salmon mm-hmm. pink color. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's smart for you to kind of play to that as well. Uh, but it, it, it's weird. It's it's almost like a wine discrimination. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you're too dark for me. <laughs> you're, you're too red for me. You're not really a rosé. I, I, I want the lighter, brighter one. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotcha. interesting. On the third sip, I got almost a champagne, uh, sparkling wine kind of feel, mouthfeel to it. So yeah. Very, very dry. Mm-hmm. And, and and so it was, let's see, so it, it was harvested between August and kind of beginning of September. And so it's had, what's that, three months basically in tank and then mm-hmm. just bottled. And so it still has a decent amount of dissolved CO2 which to me is kind of important not having an, not having too much because I don't know if you guys have had that mineral water moment where you have 
uh, some sparkling water and all of a sudden it's really kind of sharp yes mm-hmm. and, yeah. and almost bitter yeah. and that's some of some of that has to do with co2 so co2 has a sourness to it just by itself not even flavor wise it's mm-hmm. just a perception in your in your mind that kind of all of a sudden ascribes it to sourness mm-hmm. and so if you have too much dissolved co2 it can be more sour and so we kind of play that game of having enough because over time you lose your co2 and that's where the freshness kind of like keeps falling off but having enough where you know if you open a bottle and year from now it should still be amazing i want to take this home and i want to make some uh grilled salmon with some orzo and fresh cherry tomatoes and asparagus and i think that this would be a beautiful compliment to it yeah that sounds amazing yeah yeah wonderful nice this is yeah this is a beautiful wine thank you yeah my pleasure thank you guys okay what do you have next all right so now onto a tank red wine that'll be releasing very soon if it's not already released it's uh, a wine called love now more than ever love now more than ever love it great message yeah and so i gotta get a couple of those for valentine's Day. <laughs> and it has a it has a bit of a serious side to it um james uh james's neighbor um is the the grandfather of uh, elena housley the oh, okay. the the very sad story of the the Thousand Oaks shooting one mm. of the victims mm-hmm. and um, so he was very impacted by that and met her parents and um, mm. had some really kind of deep moments with them uh, and we we were working on a wine that was not yet named and so he came up with this idea because it at this time I think not even just politically but just in this country I think it's a very important message yeah is that you know we need love now more than ever yes and so it's it's that celebration so it's a it's a California red wine we we with tank we do a lot of wines under a California designation because we're using Mendocino and the foothills and Contra Costa like I said and then so this has a big portion of Napa uh, fruit in it but then it also gets augmented by some other varieties and so it's 57% Petite Syrah mm. 32% Zinfandel 5% Syrah 3% Charbono and 3% Grenache wow and it's a 2016 uh, wine and it's we made 625 cases wow and I love that you guys actually put the saccage on um, the back label a lot of people are not doing that and for you listeners who don't understand what saccage is it just means um, the the percentages of other wines uh, other varietals that are in the bottle so you mentioned this blend it's 57% Petite Syrah 32% Zinfandel 5% Syrah which is my favorite varietal 3% Charbonneau and 3% Grenache now for our listeners they've probably heard of most of those the one that stands out is Charbono. Can you describe that grape for us? Yeah. So uh, Charbono, there's less than 100 acres in all of California. Mm. It's a very rare grape. Um, and it it tends to take the heat really well. So it, it has really dark color, really intense tannins, but it holds on to its acid decently. So it makes for a really kind of fun wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, more of a blending grape or is it more of a pure grape? It's it plays it plays to both. There's a lot of there's not a lot. There is Charbonneau in a lot of old vine vineyards, mm-hmm. and it, and it's there because it plays really well with Zinfandel and Petite Syrah. Okay. So it, it fits that field blend kind of mold. Great. And yeah, just a really kind of a fun fun variety to work with. That's a beautiful color. And Charbonneau is Bonarda, correct? Yes, same as in Argentina. So- 
it was very famous in Argentina and Mendoza a very long time ago, um, before um, Malbec became the hit of the day. Yep. Um, so Charbono is just another name for Bonarda. Yep. And uh, and actually, I think one of the funny stories is that it came to California and it took them about 50 years before they realized that it was uh, Charbonne, that it wasn't Barbera. Mm. Everybody thought it was Barbera and back to like the Italian roots and mm-hmm. the, the immigrants who, who came here. They, they brought cuttings and stuff from, from Italy and they thought this was... Uh, Barbera, but but it was actually Charbonneau. So walk us through this. Uh, bring us yeah. through the color. Bring us through the sampling. Yeah. So it's it's got it's it's very dark. Uh, mm, deep. Deep. Wow. It's got it's almost like a blue blue mm-hmm. hue to it. Um, and that kind of like plays to the um, the fruit on there. It's it's a lot more blue fruit, so blueberries mm-hmm. and almost uh, that blackberry kind of jam that mm. comes through. And this is very much for us, like a in the same vein as the stars like ours. You know, it's it's an easy drinking, but wine like very smooth. But there's enough there if you want to go find complexity. So there's some spices that kind of jump out, some of that kind of like dried herbs and mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, you already finished your glass. I did. <laughs> um, I get a kind of savory. Yes meaty characteristic that is just really 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 cool it kind of reminds me of what do you call it in South Africa a bray a bray right yep so a barbecue mm. so that's and with charbono even though it's only three percent charbono I often get kind of like I think of barbecue whenever I drink charbono mm-hmm. because I get that kind of almost smoked mm-hmm. meaty savory characteristic that I just want to slap with some with some hefty marbled steak mm-hmm. um, so I get that here but I also get the fruit content from the zen fruit. and yes. from yeah. the, the the grenache and I think it's a really kind of cool um, interesting blend that kind of gives you all of these layers of complexity yeah what were you trying to achieve when you blended this this one to me is a little bit more I think a little bit more California in style I, I really like petite syrah very um, spicy. Yeah, and yeah. it does. Petit is incredibly structured, a lot of color, yeah. and can be a bit of a beast. But mm-hmm. the flavors, like it's not just a one-note wine. Like even if it's really ripe fruit that you get from it, it's super spicy. And and so finding the right balance between the petit and zin, which are made made to to be blended together, mm-hmm. like it's just amazing how well, well they work together. Lovely. Yeah. Very fun. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So Bertus, uh, farm collective wineries seem to be a particular draw with millennials. How do you think millennial drinking habits are shaping the world of wine, and how do you think farm collective is responding to millennial thirst? I think that's a it's a great question because it's a very hot topic right now, and I've read most of the articles that have come out in the last month, and there have been. 12 or 13, I, I lost count. Uh, it seems like every day there's a new article on millennial mm-hmm. habits. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think a lot of it is, is, is because of the Silicon Valley Bank report that came out, you know, um. saying there was a, well, and it made some really valid points. You know, I myself, I'm 32, so I'm still, I don't know, I don't quite You're know where on the spectrum I fall on millennialness. Um, You're millennial. A little bit later yeah. than, than the young, young ones. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so for me, one of the tough things is is that we find ourselves on one of the coasts and you know there's a bias 
be, because there's a people say there's a coastal elite and i think it's it's just it's a tough thing but we are so fortunate to live in a, in this beautiful state and i think there's a lot more uh, self-education that happens here people move here a lot of the times for wine or even in the cities people want to know more about wine there's mm -hmm. that kind of like drive that they want to know more and so it's harder for me to it's a little bit harder to think about the generalization of millennials as a whole across all 50 states mm -hmm. um, but I do think there's kind of this thirst for you know everybody speaks about it but the authenticity mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and a true story and I think uh, we we were raised in a way that I think encouraged us to explore more to do more and to to find out more about the world and so we can kind of see through the BS sometimes mm -hmm. and I think that's where it's scary to, to some of the more corporate wineries who have made their bread and butter from selling Cab or in Chardonnay and Pinot to the masses. That's right. Um, but I think that's 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 part of the challenge and I think the other the other side for us is just realizing that, you know, one of my passions is is, is, is the alternative varieties. And I do think, you know, you shouldn't like Napa Cab is amazing because it's in Napa, but you go one county over and it's not as good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, and there's a reason for that, and that's that's climate and that's terrible, the real terroir. And that's I think, exactly right. Like California is so young as a as a wine growing, like uh, or America is so young as a as a country, but as a wine growing country, it's even younger in the bigger scheme of things. Mm -hmm. And so there are places that grow indigenous grapes that have been there for centuries and they're there because they work. That's right. And I think that unexplored kind of side of California is, is a huge draw for, for me. And I think the, that as an industry, we can do more about finding which grapes work in which regions and what alternatives to, to find. And there are two sides to that. And one of them is, is climate change, finding varieties mm -hmm. that are more drought tolerant that don't require water or mm -hmm. as much water. And also from a pest control standpoint, things that are more hardened against kind of uh, viruses and uh, fun, fungus, fun, fungi, mm -hmm. um, so that you can use less spray material. And so I think it's it's looking at it. I think that's what gives millennials power is that they look at the bigger picture sometimes, and it is about environmental impacts and it's about kind of the the greater good. Yeah, basically. And I think. Uh, I think that's kind of where one of the keys lie is that for, for us, we're a very young company and a young organization, like there's a young, lot of young people and so we're pushing just as much as anybody else to make the wines that we want to drink. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps out immensely. And then the fact that um, even with James Cole, you know, there, there is a ceiling that, that, you know, there are a lot of incredible wines in Napa and there are a lot of expensive wines in Napa. But for James, his most important thing was he could charge $300 a bottle, but he doesn't find the value in that. He still mm -hmm. wants people to enjoy his wine and have it be accessible. That being said, it's, it's an expensive bottle of wine, but it's not completely out of reach. That's right. And so I think that's kind of that's kind of the key with James Cole. And then with, with T-Vine and Tank, it's very much that you know, it's accessibility, like we've spoken about, uh, but it's also like the real story. And with T-Vine, that's a really easy story because it's an amazing vineyard site and it has history and it has, the family has history. And then with Tank, it's a different story, more about the blends and the labels and, and that side. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's storytelling, but it's also authenticity. Like that's, that's, those are the two key things. And it's, it's things that have been said multiple times before, but <clears throat> I've really seen it in practice. But I think there's, there's just so much potential that's untapped. 
Yeah. I love that, and and we we it resonates with us, the two of us, Roger and I, um, that you said it's about storytelling because we essentially with this podcast we are storytellers and we are telling the stories of the amazing families and wineries of Napa, Sonoma, and. Uh, wineries further afield. Mm. So I see you have two tea vines on the yes. table. Yes, so let's jump into tea vine. First one is uh, our Calistoga Zinfandel from the Frediani Vineyard. And both of the tea vine wines are 2015s. 2015 was kind of the height of the drought. And so the vines kind of responded in a way because uh, 12, 13, and 14 were big crop years, uh, big yield years for us in Napa. And so part of the drought stress and the stress of having those big crops meant that yields were down between 40 and 60% mm. on average in the valley. That's significant. Yeah, and then that combined with the drought means that uh, low, low crop, higher heat uh, is a lot more intensity. And so it's kind of, and I like to say for, for Frediani's Infandel, it's Calistoga sunshine in a glass. <laughs> and uh, Janae lives in Calistoga, so she knows what I'm talking about. But to those of you who don't know, Calistoga re- regularly gets up to the three digits in summertime. Uh, but it is, it gets cooled down, like it'll drop about 30 degrees or 40 degrees at mm-hmm. night sometimes. And so as does most of Napa. And so some of that freshness gets preserved, but it is very much the most bold and, and fruit forward Zin that, uh, Zin vineyard that we have for, for tea vine. And so that the temperature differentiation really puts a tremendous stress on the grapes yeah yeah and so the vines will be uh the vines actually will shut themselves down if it gets too hot so Mm. they'll they'll transpire and and respirate and go to a certain point but then it'll shut down and then there's a sweet spot where it's it's kind of starts up again but then when it gets too cold the same thing happens so Mm. the vines shut down and that preserves acidity in in the grapes oh okay so when you get greater acidity, well, basically the way I, the way to explain it is is as your sugar increases, right, your acidity decreases, and so depending on balance points, that's that's kind of where you would pick at. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you said uh, if vines get too hot. Um, well, if the temperature gets too hot, the vines shut down. Yeah. So is that is that uh, temperature at ninety five degrees? I think it's it's somewhere in the nineties. Yeah. Like and and so it's one thing to have air temperature, but it can actually be warmer in the canopy. Absolutely. Um, and so it, it tends to be that. And then and so transpiration is how the vine cools itself down. Mm-hmm. And so if it can't match up with its need to cool itself down, it'll just shut down. Mm-hmm. Mm. Nice Zinfandel deep color. Mm. Wow, beautiful aroma. Gosh. Classic Zinfandel. I get a little uh, soil minerality in just the aroma and the bouquet. I haven't sampled it yet. In the soils, it's this really very fine textured kind of um, volcanic tufa. So you you walk and it, these dust plumes like come up around you because it's so fine, finely textured. It's mm. cool. Yeah. What are you pulling out of the flavor? Um, well, the first thing I get is. Um, oh I get, wow. I get a little. That's a Zinfandel I've never had before. Well, what are you getting? Then that's, I'll tell you what I'm getting. Oh, that speaks bold to me. Speak it, sir. That's very masculine. Very deep, very... uh, Very broad-shouldered. Very broad-shouldered, yes. Oh, very... Structured. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I get out of it. First impression. What about you? Um, Well, the first thing I get is 
is that it is very, very structured. Um, mm. So no flabbiness whatsoever in this wine, but I also get some, with the flavor, I get uh, a little bit of raisinated fruits. So not, not something that's like deeply raisinated, but just slightly, slightly dried, um, which kind of brings out a little more, it brings out a little hint of sweetness, a little bit of, uh, it it feels and tastes aged a little bit, Mm -hmm. but it's a very recent vintage. We're Mm -hmm. talking about 2015, but that um, kind of raisinated character gives it some, a little bit of sophistication, um, which I think is very cool. Wow, what a dynamic wine. Yeah. I would just drink this all night. Yeah, and it's yeah. very smooth, but again, like good balance. Yeah, mm-hmm. decent freshness. Is that typical? Is this that big, bold structure typical of uh, the northern parts of Napa? Yeah, so basically, as you drive north in, in Napa, you're driving away from the bay. Right. And so the warmer it gets. But then the counter to that is um, it's not a true north-south valley. It actually kind of skews slightly west That's right. the further up you drive. So you're actually closer to Healdsburg and Windsor mm-hmm. up in uh, Calistoga than you would be in St. Helena. Mm-hmm. And so there are kind of um, fog elements and, and cold air drafts that come from the Sonoma side uh, that actually tend to cool down the top of the valley quicker than between, say, St. Lena and Calistoga. And so you're, you have that element of, it's actually, uh, when these grapes get harvested, they, they'll come in, uh, what was the coldest temperature we measured? I think there was a year where we measured grapes that came in and they were 42 degrees when they came in. Wow. Yeah, that's how cold it, were, it was in that morning. And so we tend to harvest, um, this will be one of the earlier Zinfandels that we harvest because it's so warm. And then the next in that we're gonna try Black Sears, it's about 2,200 feet an elevation higher than this vineyard, mm. and it'll come in like three weeks later. Mm. So for this wine though, uh, is this a regularly produced wine yep, year after yep. year? Yeah, year after year. The, wow. This is one of the staples of, uh, of, of tea vine. This is something that I would want to buy on a regular basis, knowing that if I'm having a dinner party, if I'm having a barbecue day or something, that I would consistently want to defer to this wine as to complement my meal because I know of its beautiful structure. All right, now we go to Black Sears Vineyard. This is a very special one. Mm. So also 2015. Black Sears, as I mentioned, is um, is in higher elevation. It is at 2,600 feet elevation on Howl Mountain. It's one of the highest vineyards in Napa. Mm-hmm. And it was planted by the Sears family in the 60s, so also old vines. And um, the cuttings were from the Hain Vineyard in St. Helena, which is a very famous Zinfandel vineyard. Okay. And the soils up there are these really orange, iron-rich um, Aiken loams. And so that imbues it with a lot more power. Mm. And then being at high elevation means it's uh, it's got thicker skins because of UV radiation. Um, but it also, there's an inversion layer, so it sits almost in the fog line. Huh. And so it tends to ripen. That's why it takes so long to ripen. And then the other thing that is actually really cool about the site, it has more of an easterly aspect. So it doesn't get all of the afternoon sun as Calistoga does. Oh, okay. Huh. And so 
the, the the degree days are kind of influenced by that, and so it's a little bit more. I like to say this this tastes more like a like a Syrah or like a Rhone wine than it does Zinfandel sometimes mm. because it's super spicy. It's freshly cracked black pepper, which is a hallmark <clears throat> is a hallmark, excuse me, of of black sears. And it's one of the flavors that I, I love the most. And so this is this is one of my favorite tea vine wines mm. because it's just so distinct. I can't wait. When you were describing it to me and talking about the elevation, I automatically went to think uh, my mind started to do the the topology calculation. And I was thinking it was might be a softer wine, just in, anticipating the flavor. But you said, mentioned black pepper, which is your classic uh, Zinfandel flavor, yeah. right? So I'm kind of anticipating uh, the true flavor of this when I actually taste it. What do you, did you sniff it yet, Janae? Mm-hmm. He also mentioned um, thicker skins, mm-hmm. uh, which would concentrate tannin. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, because tannins live in the skin, seeds, and stems of the grape. So I'm expecting like power here. I'm mm. expecting power. I'm expecting uh uh, something super bold, um, <laughs> but the nose is kind of throwing me off a little bit because I do get a little black pepper on the mm. nose, but I also get um, some really, really bright, fresh, uh, almost fresh cabernet. Fruit. Yeah, almost smells like a cabernet. Yeah. Hmm. That is magnificent. My favorite oh. wine we've tasted thus far today. It's so distinct. Silky, smooth, elegant, a little hint of leather, but like a soft leather, like a light leather texture to it. Uh, you know, when you go and uh, you, you, you're at a farm and you smell uh, fresh leather, uh, that's what I'm getting off of this. Oh my gosh, so elegant. The color is almost... Um, how would you describe that color? But it's got that almost of, of a prune flavor, prune color texture to it. Yeah. Deep garnet. Like it's it's matured and it's aged, but yet yeah. it's only a It's showing its age in a little bit more, but but in wow. like a nice way. Yeah. yeah. It's very contradictory. Yeah. Because what I expected and then what I smelled, um, completely different on the palate. And that's another thing I love about wine. I love that you can never really pinpoint exactly. You can you can you can make this these conjectures, um, but you once you taste it, some of that sometimes just goes to hell, right? Mm. Because uh, there's so many factors at play when we taste wine and and when wine is made that you know it just surprises you all the time. And this is something that's a complete surprise, and it's absolutely magnificent. You know, the last wine, the last Infidel I said I would drink all night, this one, I would savor all week long. Oh my gosh. This is really dynamic. This puts me into a beautiful place. It's really awesome. Yeah. Samples like it's been aged for about 15 years already. Yeah, it's showing all those like that spice notes that you would expect from like an aged bottle. Yeah, that's just so elegant. Yeah. How did you pull that out so quickly? That's, that's the vineyard, that's just like, like it has so much concentration, but it's so elegant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, it's the vineyard, like every year, 
Yeah, Black Series is amazing. Our audience just needs to really come and do a side by side of these two Zinfandels yeah. of Tiva and just to Yeah, and, and if actually if, if they call ahead, one of the awesome things that they can do is they can actually line up all of the Zinfandels that we make. Yeah. And so you can really tell the differences in regions and because it's all the same winemaking style essentially. Like yep. minute differences in, in the new oak that we use, but yeah. we only use about 25 or 30 percent new oak so it's not meant to be oaky i don't even taste any oak in, no. in no, any of these wines none whatsoever yeah well french or american oak? um these are uh french this okay. is yeah we we started introducing more and more french and so the 16s is when we started introducing new new punchants so new 500 liter barrels which is double this more than double the size of a regular barrel right. yeah and so you have less oak to wine and it, it actually like it's, it's incredible how those turn out well what I appreciate is that you don't that the wood barreling doesn't uh, dominate the flavor of these beautiful Zinfandels these yeah. are just some pure classic wonderful tasting Zins you yeah. know if you want to yeah. come and taste that Zin grape out of a bottle you got to come to T-Vine and try these these yeah. are delicious magnificent really thank you wow. thank you very much Absolutely. Let's just end it. Let's just call it. The, let's end it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in that place yeah, where it's, it's just like, much like this is pretty spectacular. Wow. Like I'm a little bit blown away. I've had some 20 year old Merlots that taste as elegant as this, and this mm-hmm. is really dynamic for a for a three year old wine. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. It, it's mind-blowing, actually. It, I was about to say, I'm blown I, away. I, I, I'm a little speechless. Oh, my God. So, okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So, if you need to go... <laughs> I'm saying you need... If you need... No. You need... You need, <laughs> you need to go to T-Vine. Where is T-Vine located, and how okay. do you get So, uh, T-Vine and Tank Garage are both in Calistoga. Um, our wines, as I mentioned, are only available. I'm just going to sit back and finish this class while you <laughs> describe this to Yep. So, uh, so they are available online. Um, check, check out our websites. But please come and visit us in Calistoga. The experience is so worth it. Um, at T-Vine, if you want to taste all the Zinfandels, call ahead. If you are just into a regular tasting, you can drop by. It's open, open to the public. And same with Tank Garage. I recommend um, it gets it gets pretty busy on the weekends, so call ahead. But if you're coming midweek, definitely definitely worth a visit. And especially now too, don't think that you uh, you have to wait until summertime to come to Napa. Um, all the hills are green, the vines are, are getting beautiful. pruned. It's it, and the mustards in bloom, so it's yes. it's incredibly beautiful. And it's there's no lines, so there's no lines. Yeah, <laughs> come and visit. And then with James Cole is is by appointment only. Uh, it's a very small uh, small winery, but definitely please come and uh, come and check us. Check and James us Cole's on the Silverado Trail. Yep, only about uh, fifteen. 15 or 20 minutes outside the town of Napa driving north so and it's a it's a it's a it's a beautiful road and it's not uh, congested so you yeah. want to take that road to Silverado Trail always take Silverado Trail always yeah. take Silverado Trail yeah. <laughs> the eastern side of the valley Bertus I am just blown away I Thank really you. am by all this this is a magnificent wine wow and where do these consumers, if they can't make it to Napa, how do they get these wines online? Uh, yeah, we, we ship to pretty much all, all states. Um, and yeah, 
very com- and there are actually like times where they'll let you combine orders from from the different wineries. Do you have to go to That's each? In- cool. Do you have to go to each individual website, tankgarage.com, tvinewinery.com, and jamescolewinery.com, or do you have? Yeah, yeah, those those would be the best. So they're isolated, um, and then um, please sign up for the mailing list. That's the best way to stay abreast of uh, of new new developments or new wines. Uh, as I mentioned, some of our wines are very limited productions, even though. Uh, like we have the rosé and the uh, and the red blend here for tank are, are decently produced there are wines that are 25 or 50 cases and we send those out to the mailing list and if they sell out online uh, we don't sometimes offer them in the tasting room the, the, the uniqueness of the rosé the complexity of the blend and just the distinct pure beauty of the Zinfandels. Yeah. I, you know, when normally when I walk out of these wine tastings, I always end up with, you know, two, one or two bottles of my most favorite, but I just want to buy all of them and mm-hmm. like get a case of all of them. Yeah, and I think that's that's a very good point because uh, as, a, as a wine club member, you're essentially signing up for things you don't know are coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially, well, with Tank, uh, because we're going to make up a blend that we've never done before and a label we've never done. And right. you're basically placing your faith in us. Um, but I think now through the years of us being in operation, people are comfortable with doing that because it's one of the few places where I've actually heard so many people say that exact thing that they can't pick a favorite. Like they like all of the wines. And so I think that's kind of the key. Is. But the thing is, I could see me having beautiful moments with each of these wines. I really can. Like, I, as I described it with the rosé, I could have a dinner, an intimate dinner uh, with a loved one, having grilled salmon with orzo and cherry tomatoes and asparagus. But then with the, with the red blend, I just want a fun uh, barbecue where every meat, different meat, whether it's beef, pork, or chicken, uh, it has a different taste with the different ageability, openness of that of that uh, of that blend, and then the Zinfandel. I just want to have a party at my house where I put side by side these two tea vine Zinfandels and let people experience it and get blown away, just as I did here about the the magnificence of these two Zinfandels. Absolutely. I could see my place in. I could see myself in a place with each of these wines. Okay. Well, wherever you see yourself, Janae needs to be there as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is one. This has been a wonderful, wonderful experience, Spiritus. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you both for making it up. Thank you. This was this was uh, my most fun thus far. This, this is magnificent. Thank you no. very, very much for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Well. Veritas, thanks so much. It's been such a wonderful tasting experience here in your production facility, but I encourage all of our listeners to get out to Tank, to get out to T-Vine, to get out to James Cole, and actually experience these wines at its properties. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sip on This uh, just as much as we had a great time here today. And you can continue to learn about wine in Napa and Sonoma and Fields Afar by listening to our podcast, which you can find on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get our podcasts. And check us out on Sip on This, where you'll see pictures from today's episode and where you can ask questions that we'll answer on a future podcast episode. Until our next podcast, live peacefully, productively, and deliciously. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers, you guys. Oh, my gosh. Just like dynamic wine. I was blown away. I know. So you have your hand in all of these things. Yeah. Yep. Wow. <laughs> he makes them all. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
I really was blown away by the two Zinfandels. Yeah, they're yeah. great. It's really fun when you can taste the same vintage, just different vintage.